do we really need Mary to be a virgin for this to be a fucking holy shit moment? Like, right. God. <laughs> I mean, we know when we look through tradition and the institutional church and the role that, well, they were trying to make sure women did not have in that time and in that space, right? That Mary's virginity was super important. But really, really, was it? You backed yourself in the corner with that whole original sin bullshit. For Jesus to be sinless, he couldn't be born the normal way. Welcome to episode 275 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. No, I am not the Reverend Brian Berghoff. I am Reverend Ogun Holler, one of our usual co-hosts, with Reverend Shannon Weston here and our special guest, the Reverend Dr. Melissa Allison who's here to help us address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. Melissa is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church, USA. She serves as the stated clerk of the Presbytery of Detroit. And if you, like me, did not know what that meant, check out our pre-show when I get it up, because like stated clerk, what what does that mean? Uh, But she assures me she's always overstated as well. So... Um, there's that. She's also the author of The Girlfriend's Guide to Ministry and perhaps her great, do I really have to read this out loud? Perhaps her greatest achievement <laughs> is being yes. besties, oh, I can't drink that. being besties with our very own Shannon Wesson for over 20 years. Welcome Admit back it, to the Ogin, show. Admit it, Ogan, that is an achievement. Don't tell me it's not an achievement. That, that is that is true. How long have we been friends? I don't know if we're going to make it 20, but it's been a while. Oh, you and I? I don't know. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Like we're maybe going right. on five. <laughs> yeah, we ain't close to double digits yet. So yes, 20, 20 is an achievement. Welcome back, Melissa. You were with us before. Thank you. I was. It's been a while. I think there might have been a pandemic in there, and it's good to be with you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we mentioned the pre-show, and whether you are a longtime listener or new to the show, you can watch that and get access to even more content and fun, witty, insightful banter, or not. Uh, for a few bucks a month, uh, become a subscriber at patreon.com slash PT live. Uh, you will get some merch as well, like pub theology, like pint glass, um, as long as we have supplies and that helps support the show. As always, we are grateful for our current patrons. Today, we discuss our favorite Christmas carols celebrating Yule and purity culture. And this is where Brian wanted me to introduce Melissa, but we already did it. So Melissa, anything you want to add? Here I am. Thanks for having me. Here I am. Um, So we're going to grab a drink to get through this. Melissa, why don't you share what you're drinking today? I am drinking a wonderful IPA from some lovely Michigan brewer that I forgot to look at the can. No worries. And my supply (laughs) is low, so... I understand. I, I did finish off the Kahlua when I made my drink. Um, yeah, okay. I thought it was a little early to hit the bourbon. Oh, I mean, yeah. No judgments for those who are. No, I'm I'm done after this. Ogan, what are you drinking? Um, it's never too early for bourbon. Um, <laughs> I, you know, 
you all know how much I love eggnog, but eggnog yes. is not a big thing here in Barbados. So I haven't really been finding it. And the other day I was in some like mega like Costco type superstore. Apparently we have those now. Um, and I found um, almond milk eggnog. Ooh. And oh. I, I don't drink regular milk anymore, except for eggnog and ice cream and cheese. But um, yeah, those are like ice cream, cheese and eggnog. Those are my dairy consumptions. I have not tried it yet. So we, we get in a- We're going to see how it course, goes. I'm going to spice it up with some, uh, you know, the usual- Some Mount Gay rum. rum. Yeah. So um, while you tell us what you are drinking, I'll, I'll pour some of this out and see how it goes. So I didn't bring down any of the bottles with me. I went ahead and just made my drink. So a couple of years ago during the pandemic, Derek and I started a tradition um, called Music and Cocktail Night. And this was one of our cocktails. It is a chai white Russian. So it is Kahlua. And this is actually because Derek bought this last time I was at the store. I'm unconvinced that vodka needs to be 100 proof, but it is 100 proof Amsterdam vodka. Like just get you drunk faster. Like it's vodka. What do you need a hundred proof for? Um, and then you make a simple syrup with chai tea and put it in there. So it is a little bit flavorful. Nice. And I threw in a little sprig and a cinnamon stick to make it. Oh, festive. Um, I can tell. And it, oh, good. Sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna, go ahead. You go. I was just going to say, and if this is a long show, cause we're talking about purity culture. So I may need a second drink. I have Trogue's mad elf. <laughs> But I just felt like I needed something a little more substantial than a beer. So there you go. Even though I this can is like ten percent, I can already <laughs> tell by the by the color and texture of this that I have made a horrible mistake. <laughs> the viscosity <laughs> is not there. Mm, it's actually not bad. All it's missing it's missing the 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 intense creaminess. The milk. <laughs> the, the chewiness. Yeah, I figured they could have put some, what is it, carrageen, whatever, whatever thickener. They could have put some more thickener in this thing. Um, but, um, and the intense sweetness of it. But um, a little rum should help. I tasted it without the rum first to see. Oh, that was silly. Uh, but Who drinks I, I was without alcohol? I was curious. I was curious. <laughs> Straight from the bottle. <laughs> Someday I yeah. might be able to drink rum again, but. Oh, oh no. Oh, I shipwrecked with the captain. Uh, freshman year of college, we, I still, yep. <laughs> I think that might be my favorite phrase ever. I shipwrecked with the captain. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, too. I was going to yep. say, everybody immediately knows what you meant. <laughs> yep, exactly. It took a global pandemic for me to be able to drink bourbon. So, you know. Uh, yeah. She never used to drink bourbon, and now she does. And, like, I'm... It's actually Listen, one of the great like appreciations I have for her wife that she got her to drink bourbon. And I'm like, now, like we thought we were friends before, but now, although yeah, Melissa has literally yeah. drugged me out of bars before. So maybe we shouldn't drink bourbon together, but quite literally. Yeah, we all, we all made some pandemic choices. Uh, Listen, no, she, no, no, it, no just shame. in fairness, she did not drag me out of bars during the pandemic. We were not in bars during the pandemic. So. That, was, that was pre-pandemic days. Yeah. On to today's topics. So, starting today, what is your favorite Christmas carol? Starting today, I I have not been listening to Christmas starting music. Starting our yet. questions today. Sorry, starting. Yeah. You know, transitioning to our questions. What's your favorite Christmas uh, carol? 
Um, oh, yeah, I think do, it's a do. pretty obvious answer, right? What, what's that? Um, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Mary, did you know? Oh, well, obviously. Of course. Of course. It's in keeping with the theme. Yeah, I did. I almost pulled out my like stupid blog I wrote years ago about Mary. Did you know? That like, was not a stupid blog. That was it an wasn't. excellent blog that I turned into a sermon. So and you, sh- you should, re- yeah, you should repost that every year because I know I, cool I used to. Right, yeah. So I'm sure it's on my Facebook memories. I should repost it again. And listen, because of that blog and conversations with you, I got in a very um, almost come to blows argument with someone over that song because they were just, you know. <laughs> saying the praises and the majesty of that song and i was like mm, no. <laughs> no 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 nope so my favorite this is like christmas carol is a coventry carol which is a very like it's a medieval carol from england and i really love it and all that stuff um so i've wanted actually now this is the question brian wrote the questions brian is sick this week I've, he had his niece's wedding. I hope it's not COVID. I hope he's just yeah. under the weather and he recovers before Christmas Eve um, as he's the only one of us that actually has to do church now. <laughs> um, There's that. But I was thinking about this question and Melissa being on. So I have to tell the story of when I n- knew Melissa and I were going to be besties forever. So we were in our first semester of seminary. That's where we met. And um, we would like usually not every day. There was chapel every day. We'd have an 830 class and there was like chapel at 10. And we very often hung out in like the student center and ate breakfast and whatever. And then we'd go over to chapel. So during Christmas, they do this big lessons and carols thing. And so for all semester, I'd been standing next to Melissa when we are in the middle of this chapel service. So I've heard her sing multiple times. And every time she sings, I would be like, that sounds so familiar. Like her, there's something in her voice. Magical. That's magical. <laughs> um, there's magical. something in her voice that sounds familiar. Um, I wouldn't, I won't say she's a bad singer. I would never go that far ever, ever go that you far. You can, you do. And it's, you know, different. Um, <laughs> So we go to lessons and carols and we're standing next to each other at the very end of lessons and carols. We all stand up and we start singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And all of a sudden I have this like huge aha moment because when Melissa sings, she sounds like all of the Charlie Brown Christmas characters put together. (laughs) Oh no. It's a unique gift. And so one year for Christmas, Shannon got me an ornament that is prominently displayed on the tree with all of the Charlie Brown peanuts. Yes. That's hilarious. So it is one of my favorite um, hymns, Christmas hymns, but it is also one of my favorites because not only do I think of Charlie Brown Christmas, but I can't help but think of Melissa singing Aw, thanks. You're welcome. Aw, see, this is why we've been besties for 20 years. Because she's always really nice to me. <laughs> that, always. Yeah. Always. That was, that was a lot of nicety right there. Yeah. Uh, yep. I was gentle. Come on. I was gentle. Yeah. I feel, speaking of speaking of medieval, um, my favorite carol is What Child Is This? 
set to mm-hmm. the memorable tune of Greensleeves. Um, but do we count carols as having some religious connotation as separate from secular Christmas songs? Sec- that's how I would read it. Christmas songs count but as I'm carols? But I'm not sure that's not so accurate historically. Like, But I think okay. of it as like a song you carol to. So whether it's around or in, in like you sing with other people. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So what um, child is this? Melissa, do you have anything that you particularly love? In the Bleak Midwinter. Um, I love that song. We are some minor key people. We, in um, <laughs> Is Advent not the mini Lent? It is. I'm I not mean. saying. Songs in major keys are lazy songs. You gotta like... I mean, come on, man. If you're gonna if you're gonna write a good song, it's gotta be a minor. That's clear. So do you have fonder memories of Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Mm. And I don't know if this is like growing up or just in general when you think of I mean, I think being a pastor for 20 years, like Christmas Eve is just chaotic in my head. Ugh. Like but you know, so, there was something very magical about first starting in ministry and being the one who lit the candles. Hmm. I mean, for me, that was like this that this is and then I got over it, but yes. <laughs> so Ogan, you've been out of parish ministry for how many years? Traditional ministry for how many Christmases um, will this be? How many Christmases? This will this will be my third. Okay. I think this so will this be is my, my second. Third. And this yeah. is Melissa. This is your first. This is my first Christmas not being a pastor in almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. And I gotta tell you, it's it it doesn't feel like a long time, but it's it feels like a long time, and at the same time, it's like the muscle memory of of you know the added stress anxiety of this time of year it yeah. hasn't gone away for me yes. yet mm-hmm. um and i remember that first sunday of advent waking up going like holy crap i haven't i haven't done anything posted anything wrote anything <laughs> i haven't said anything right. about advent like oh my god like i started freaking out and then actually started writing writing uh some stuff on my substack necessarytrouble.substack.com shameless plug um uh and started so now i'm writing a a, a series uh, uh for Advent. it's like i can't shake the habit <laughs> right? yeah no i felt that too i'm uh, like i have so much to say and I was talking about this the other day that like I've I, there is there are very few presents under our tree, like and so one that's a financial thing, but two I'm also like I'm done with the crap. The kids don't need any more crap. I don't need any more crap. Nobody needs more crap. Mm-hmm. But what I'm also realizing, what I'm also kind of saying is like I bought a like I would buy out of guilt for how mm. busy I was this time of year. And I would also buy as a distraction because I, because like I couldn't turn, there was so much busyness around this time of year. Like I couldn't turn that pressure of Christmas at church off. And so I would shop. Um, That's a real, that's a real thing. That's what I'm realizing this year is that like, I've, I've really gone much more minimalist because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm here. I'm present for my kids in a new way. I don't feel guilty. I don't, you know, um, 
I'm not buying them off. And I'm not getting that end of year bonus that paid off for Christmas. So there's that too. There's, there's that too. <laughs> yeah. My youngest said to me, since this is my first Christmas, mom, you're much more enjoyable to be around more often now. Wow. Oh, no, the kids real. call the kids call it out, man. They, mm-hmm. yeah. We're yeah. not, we not fooling everybody or anybody. Um, from a, I think from a professional perspective, yes, Christmas Eve definitely has more memories for better or for worse, usually for worse. But from a, like just a personal standpoint, um, especially when Joy was younger, um, you know, that waking up to see what Santa has delivered and what gifts bought, like that, that, that just pure joy, pun intended, because my daughter's name is Joy. And um, also she's 23 now. So, so that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, but, but I, but those were, those were the good memories. I remember how uh, you talk about presents under the tree, how obscenely plentiful the gifts were for her, her very first Christmas, mm-hmm. like barely one year old. Mm-hmm. And no, not even one. Sorry, not that first Christmas. The first Christmas when she was a few months old and kid could barely hold her head up yet. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. the amount the amount of presents were obscene because, yeah, on, on my wife's side of the family, she was like the first grandchild. So they were like not going to let her forget that yep. as well. So, um, but I think, yeah, I think, I think if we have younger kids, especially there is something... I think that makes Christmas much more memorable. Um, she's going to be flying in to visit me here in Barbados. On, I was going to ask if she was coming. Yep. She's coming on Saturday. And See, that's probably, all I need for Christmas, a trip to Barbados. Let's there go. You go. That, would ve- that would very much excite me. Let's go. There you go. Okay. Let's I, go. I, I got, Nobody I got needs room. us here. I got room. <laughs> um, and probably probably the highlight of our Christmas season together will be eating some brownies and getting high. Like mm-hmm. our, our relationship has taken on a new, you know, adult leaning experience. And it's wonderful and it's magical in its own right. Um, but yeah, I think the gifts thing went out the window. And then, of course, that memorable first year when she realized Santa wasn't real and that year was so much harder for me than I realized when Sophia our last one like finally knew because then I was like mm-hmm. oh shit now if you don't like your stocking gifts you know I picked them out exactly like- <laughs> nobody else to blame nobody else I am to blame. just so glad the damn elf on the shelf is done <laughs> our elf lasted one year and I was like I'm done it's not never coming <laughs> and I was like you guys must have been so bad it didn't come back <laughs> Like, nope. So glad. So glad. All right. So moving away from the secular part of Christmas to a little more of the theological, what theme or theological insight is most meaningful to you in the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth? So I clearly, clearly it's been impactful. Like we have no words. Clearly. Yeah, we no. <laughs> I, so as much as like I harp on things like Mary, did you know, like what I do, a part of the reason why I'm so passionate about that song being so wrong is that I love Mary's 
story of motherhood so much, not so much like how she got pregnant. That's we'll talk about that in a minute, but like the the um Magnificant part, but particularly in the birth story, um, when you know the magi come and and all of these things happen, and she ponders these things in her heart, and I, I really just appreciate that language so much in terms of our ability to reflect, our ability to soak in situations, our ability to just, um. I don't mean like passively accept what's happening to us, but like in a very good way of like, I watch my children this time. I, I don't know, things look differently. Maybe we really do put on rose colored glasses this time of year, but like, I just kind of, I just appreciate things differently this time of year. Um, and I like the phrasing of that in Luke's gospel. So I'll throw that out. I'll start there. How about you, Melissa? I, I love me some genealogy in <laughs> Matthew. I do. I love the connection um, that we have to one another. And it tells this full story and really being able to focus on the stories of women and the women that show up in that genealogical account. Um, and, you know, no congregation wants to hear you read all those names unless they do, because they want to sit and wait to see if you mess it up. Um, but I've had churches that have have been cool with that. And, and it is, it's just a powerful reminder of our interconnectedness. Um. I, I like the fact that it was the most inconspicuous of births. Like, virtually nobody else knew this thing was happening. Like, I, I kind of make this joke that it was so inconspicuous that, like, God had to go scare some shepherds into go being witnesses so that somebody else could actually say this thing happened. Right? So, so here we have the birth of arguably one of the most prominent figures in human history being born in a in a spot in a moment that nobody else knows nobody else cares in fact the church didn't even make it a thing for a few centuries um and yet out of out of that birth we would eventually have this spiritual revolution of sorts so for me what that instills is is just this sense of like nothing we do matters and everything we do matters all, mm -hmm. all at the all at the same time. And nobody may see the good and the presence that we are, yet the good and the presence that we bring to life in the world and to other people matters tremendously. And we may not even figure it out till much later. And we may not even know at all. And that's okay. Yeah. I also, like, I do love the opening of John as well. Like, I really do love the connection back to creation. Um, so there is a carol, and I forget which one it is right now, um, but it's that love is born this night. Mm. And... Um, you know, one of my problems with that is like, it's not like love didn't exist in the world, like pre-Jesus. 
um, which is what John makes the connection of, right? That like this, this love of God is born in creation. It's all throughout creation. Um, and of all people, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about this. He, he, it's very much an atheist and talks about like one of the most interesting um, things about the universe is that we're literally made of stardust, right? That like the matter that is all over the universe is what makes us as human beings up. And that that is written in the gospel of John in a very different way, but is all throughout scripture of this connection to we're all connected in creation, but we're all connected through love. Um, and through presence. And I think that that's just a really beautiful thing that we don't talk enough about until we read it this time of year, you know, and, and that we're and asking that presence to be evoked, you know, this time of year. I mean, you read John and nothing happened before Jesus' birth, right? <laughs> like <laughs> nothing important. Like I get the feeling for him, that's when time began, Right. Beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word made. But like in the beginning, there was a lot of time before that. What do you mean in the beginning? But, you know, he this is John. He's such right? a poet stoner, though. Like that's John. <laughs> he is like one year I Facts. did. Uh, there was a devotional somewhere that someone had written about, like, you know, the different houses and talked about the Gospels and trying to imagine what kind of welcome home to Jesus that each of the gospel stories really imagined. And so I got real creative in thinking about this, like very stoner poet, John in his very eclectic house and what Christmas would have looked like if John was welcoming people into um, his space. <laughs> It would have been a very dark house with one candle. That's what I imagine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? Yep. <sighs> so on an application for a Christian camp, applicants ages 16 to 18 were asked, what do you believe about sexual purity? Sexual purity can be defined as the choice to abstain or refrain from sexual activities outside the context of the bonds of marriage. Studies have shown that those who grew up in purity culture are more likely to experience sexual dysfunction, anxiety, and depression. It can also to contribute to a culture of victim blaming and perpetuate harmful attitudes towards sexual assault survivors. Discuss the appropriateness of this question on the application. And how do we reconcile this with the time of year of Advent where we celebrate a virgin teenager who gives birth to the Son of God? Are we still pushing the virgin narrative? I thought we were like past that already. Like, I mean, we, we still use the language very much so. Okay. Maybe and that's yes, yes, we still like, yes, we still push yes. that. I mean, we don't, but like, yes, it oh, yeah. is very much pushed this time of year. I know it's more, I mean, more rhetorical question, but why? Well, why? This is, sometimes, this is sometimes, right? Presbyterians do not have a list of essential tenets. We have a constitution of a book of confession. Here you go, my nerdy. That's statement. what a stated clerk does, Ogan. Yes. <laughs> well, we know it. Right here. Um, Right, but we talk about in the Presbyterian Church essential tenets that we won't list out. But when people want a list, virgin birth appears on that one. 
bodily mm. resurrection appears on i think if they could boil it down to two those would yeah. be the two and then we can extrapolate from there what also gets added to that list okay but this is a you know oh i i also for we answer the question yeah. one of the things i want to add it about uh want to add from that for that definition of uh sexual purity especially within the Christian context is not just about refraining from sexual activities. You make a consecration with Jesus, like, like, like Jesus, Jesus is your boyfriend. Yeah. And like, there are people in some situations of that, they got the, they have a ring on to yeah. the, the, the girls. I don't think the boys so much, but the girls have a ring on to indicate like I'm married to Jesus. And when I marry my earthly husband, then we'll swap rings out um sort of deal so it's 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 just more than refraining it's it's like almost this weird like bodily consecration um that that, that happens as well and there's the political piece of it as well when we start talking about those abstinence or purity pledges that were and have been i'm sure more than once hammered into the lawn in washington dc right? It is. Mm -hmm. So get into, so I'm going to nerd out on this completely. Please do. Uh, Go ahead. Go yeah, for it. Go for it. I am very, very deep in uh, a podcast right now. Um, her name is Dr. Sarah Mosliner, and she is a professor at Central Michigan University. And her podcast is called Pure White. And she discussed yeah exactly good face um yeah if they're just listening they can't see it but it was a good one um so she talks about the history and the interconnection of purity culture and race and it is phenomenal very 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 well done um it's being hosted by the um folks who put on straight White American Jesus, which is another podcast um, that really looks at folks who have left the evangelical church and the impacts of religion and what's happening in the political spheres today. But purity culture, I had no idea. Like, I grew up in a very, very, well, very white Presbyterian church that just wanted to keep everyone happy. So we don't talk about things really at all. Um, you come to church, you sing, you go to youth group. Purity culture was around the edges for me. Like I had friends who had those rings. I just wanted the ring. Um, but I was not immersed in it. My like curiosity and fascination came up with this as um, I married my wife who was very much deep, deep, deep in purity culture and evangelical and fundamentalist um, churches. And so learning about the longer term impacts of that theology and that mindset. Um, yeah. Wow. It, yeah. it, it fucks your shit up. Yeah. It fucks your shit up like long term. Long, long term. term. Long so there are term are more and more, um, there are more and more therapists in particular who are paying attention to high control religion um, yes. and its impact around relationships and sexuality and trauma. Um, and thank you. Like, thank you for all the people who are finally doing this work. Because um, even for those of us who are at the edges of it, like 
we we heard it right growing yeah. up. You save yourself for marriage and all this kind. Of- oh, I I signed I signed the pledge. I I actually oh, yeah, signed. Me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that that pledge. And oh. what we know what we know is that for a lot of us who signed that pledge, we find creative workarounds because sex is narrowly defined as a very heteronormative like penis in vagina way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That so mm-hmm. so we we find all sorts of bordering from fun to actually dangerous for your health workarounds um, to not to not have sex in that very narrowly defined way. And then that's a whole mind trip you got to get around and get over because even though you're, you know, one half of your brain is saying, well, we didn't actually have sex, but the other half of your brain is saying, yeah, you know you did. And then there's the guilt <laughs> and the shame. So much guilt and shame. And, then and all the things you know, and, and then years later, years later, when you think you stripped away all of that, and then you, you know, you know, you get yourself involved in the Keegan BDSM world, all that shit still plays in the back of your mind, you know, and you never quite fully have a hundred percent pleasurable experience. I'm just relating the adventures of a friend. I'm not talking about my experience at all. <laughs> Asking for a friend. No, just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. <laughs> So, Melissa, I so appreciate you drawing the line because I think this was my big issue in this was like drawing the line between trauma and purity culture is I mean, it's a real line. It's a thick one. Mm-hmm. It is like, you know, we all grew up in the 80s when purity culture was everywhere. So I actually don't know that this is exclusive to denominations you know, it just was in the air for whatever reason. It was part of like, it was like, don't, you know, just say no to drugs and sex. Like that. You can blame Reagan of, for everything. Uh, absolutely. It was, it was, it was part of the culture. Speaking of culture, you know, Ogan and I grew up in evangelical churches that very much pushed it. Um, I tell this story often that um, the, the, when I was in middle school, like we were going to the Southern Baptist church and I went to Sunday school on a regular Sunday and they had brought in one of the senior high school students to talk to the middle school students. So so that was seventh or eighth grade for me about being a born again virgin because he had had sex and his penance was to come talk to the middle schoolers about what a bad decision that was, how much he regrets it, and how you can be born again through baptism. And somewhere in the seventh and eighth grade, I'm sitting in the Sunday school class going, this is wildly inappropriate. (laughs) Like, this is not okay. And that's when I was like, I'm not going to that church anymore. (laughs) Because It's extremely like there really was this understanding that for the men in purity culture, they could somehow be wiped clean. And for women, for girls, let's be really honest, you were impure forever. And what it really did breed, at least in my friend group, was anybody who had had any sexual assault at all, let alone like Ogan, like there's the element of the shame in consensual sex, which I think is an important, super, super important element to talk about. And the deep shame that adds to sexual assault victims that really was not in their control and what purity culture does to that. And I just can't 
express how damaging that was and how many years it took me and people I know personally to get over that, right? To just move past it. Um, So the fact- We bring it back to the story of Mary and Jesus' birth. Like, do we really need Mary to be a virgin for this to be a fucking holy shit moment? Like, God- I mean, we know when we look through tradition and the institutional church and the role that, well, they were trying to make sure women did not have in that time and in that space, right, that Mary's virginity was super important. But really, really, was it? Like, all, and isn't all of Jesus' ministry kind of undoing that narrative? Yeah. Right? Like the people that he ate with, the people he sat with. And there is, there are some people that were like, well, his mom was outcast. So that's why he's sympathetic. And I'm like, great. Like, what? but why well, yeah, is that it's, necessary? It's Chris, Christian math. Come on, Christian math. Jesus <laughs> couldn't, Jesus, they, you see, you, you backed yourself in the corner with that whole original sin bullshit. And therefore, you know, for Jesus to be sinless, he couldn't be born the normal way. He couldn't be created the normal human way. Well, so we had to find us. We had to find us a loophole story. And in Catholicism, oh my gosh, this is my like favorite. This is real thing ever. It isn't yeah. just Jesus who was born it's, of a virgin. It's Mary's Mary. mother was Mary was a virgin birth. Yes. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. She was pure, pure, pure. Was, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Gold star lesbian epic story in here somewhere in order for that. I mean, did turkey basters exist in, I mean, this this is, I want this to be the show, like the show title, like turkey basters from the first century. Like there is somewhere there's an exhibit, like something's happening, you know, like. That's too long. Turkey, turkey baster messiah. There we go. That's, you know, (laughs) narrow it down a little bit. Okay. I love it. There you go. Sold. I'm done. <laughs> so, so the fact that like, the, I'm not going to name the name of the camp, but I do know what camp asked this question. Um, it is a, it, I will call this out. It is a Presbyterian church USA affiliated camp. I still can't even get over that. And we do not like promote purity culture. In fact, we <clears throat> removed from our, Melissa, you can talk about this. We removed from our constitution the fact that to be ordained, you needed to be married to have sex. Like we removed that qualification that you can't have sex Wait, outside of marriage. I'm, I'm sorry. Time out. Time out. To be ordained, it used to have to have some sort of purity standard for being yeah. ordained. Chastity in singleness. Yes. It was known as G6106B and it was a, I mean, it didn't get put into the book of order. I think until like 1996, because I was 16 years old when it got put in, because that's when the PCUSA church that I was going to at the time passed out the purity cards when G6106B, which is the reference in our book of order. Like that's the or, number or, so, so, for ordination. Yeah. Um, as an ordination standard, if you were single, you were celibate. You had to be single in celibacy. So y'all, so y'all just masquerading as a progressive denomination. Ah, well, or, and then it wasn't removed until 2008, 2010. Oh my goodness. Like something wow. like that. It took like 15 years to get it removed. 
And the thing about the Presbyterian church, I mean, we can get real deep into this because, you know, this is where I also get nerdy. Um, <laughs> but the United Methodist Church is still going through this with same-sex couples. They're divorced, right? Yeah, they're going through their yeah. great divorce yeah. right now. And the Presbyterian church, parts of it were very, very progressive and like doing these amazing conferences and writing papers on human sexuality. We affirmed a woman's right to choose before Roe v. Wade. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and here this we gets pushed through. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's got their blind spots, but to the so, question, I, I think it's, I think it's wholly inappropriate bordering on harmful to have that question in a, camp application mm -hmm. for, for, for like junior counselors for like, yeah. I mean, for anybody, well, I for me, anybody. These are still, I, I think for me, the, the fact that it's 16 to 18 year olds is that they're still impressionable in this question. Mm -hmm. And they're still kind of going, Oh, this is what it takes for me to be Christian. Like, that's what you read into the question. Right. Right. I have there's a big a, issue with, you know, there's a right or wrong here implied because, so because Exactly. I right? don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if you get rejected. Yeah, I think purity culture is bullshit. Well, and here's the thing. What are you really wanting yes. to know? Do you want to know if I've ever had sex or do you want to know, like, do you think it's inappropriate to have sex at camp? Yeah. Okay. I think it's inappropriate to have, you know what I mean? Like, is it an ethical question of like, don't have sex right. with campers. A... Don't sleep around with the other counselors. Like we can't have that here. That's a different question than yes. what do you believe about sexual purity? Are you like are you are you somehow safer? Yeah, are you somehow safer because you believe you should retain your virginity till you get married? Like, like is that the am, only danger? I'll admit <laughs> you know? my bias. I am way more suspect of children who of of teenagers who are like, I will remain sexually pure forever. I'm like, you have issues coming. You have yeah. issues and you have issues coming. Like I, well, and maybe literally coming, but nonetheless, you know, um, <laughs> you're welcome. But I just, I, I'm very suspect of this, but I do think it's, it's such an interesting topic to talk about this time of year when we really yes. do kind of celebrate, even if we're not really meaning to kind of purity culture of Mary and Jesus, like it's an odd, it's an odd thing mm -hmm. that's still kind of on the books, even though we, to Ogan, to your very first point of, is this still a thing? Like virgin didn't mean what it meant now. Like it meant young woman. Can't we just agree that it meant there was a young woman who was engaged and the practice of the day was that there was sex before marriage. Like abstaining to have sex before marriage isn't, really biblical ish <laughs> there are some laws for it but it's really more about the price of your woman and haven't we all agreed that like that's gone out the window yeah the property. <laughs> like sex before marriage for a woman was taboo because she couldn't get a better price yeah. not because of yeah. the purity right. of god so can we just for, yeah. Anyway, that. and not not to mention, you know, the the demigod mythology is you know rampant in all religions. So why should Christianity be any different? Right. But you know, 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're ready to talk about talk about the mythology of Jesus yet. We're not ready to what about it? <laughs> talk about it. The mythology, you know, you know, we're that's a talk about it now. You know, talk not, about I don't it. want to talk about it either. <laughs> I was I was I was I was starting with think and then it switched to talk and no, it's okay. like the words I, the words the words a little, more rum, a little more rum. Exactly. But <laughs> but yeah, that that opens up that can of worms because yeah. sure, you know. Roman mythology, Greek mythology, all that stuff is, we know, make believe, but we're not going to open that door around Christianity, even all the hallmarks are there like any other religion that existed or exists uh, today. And I think using, I think in many ways, Mary's virginity is, uh, you alluded to it, weaponized. um, Absolutely. Thank you. That That is the best way of putting it to shame women and shame girls. Yes. And it's, it's, it's horrible. And that's the point. And again, as much damage as it did, and I know many men that it did damage to, but as much damage as it did to women, it is consistently very, very damaging for, as anyway, you get my idea. So speaking of um, rampant sex, let's talk about the pagans. Um, <laughs> so pagans normally define <laughs> we love the pagans let's all be pagan pagans normally define their religion as earth-based by this they mean that they see the divine in nature and connect with their rituals to the changing seasons all forms of contemporary paganism look to pre-christian european religions to inform their religious practice Yule will be celebrated by Wiccans and many other pagans in the Northern Hemisphere on December the 21st, the day of the winter solstice. For pagans, the shortest day of the year marks the end of the descent into darkness and the beginning of the return to the light as the days begin to get longer after the solstice. Like many other religious holidays, Yule is a celebration of light and a time for reflection. Discuss the connection between Yule, the winter solstice, and the longest night services that some churches hold. What might earth-based religions have to teach other traditions, other religious traditions? I was so going to say, was- dis- d- descend into darkness is just when the fun gets started. Like- I mean, we just <laughs> right? talked all about the fun that happens in darkness. <laughs> <sighs> or lack thereof, depending on your views on purity culture. There, there, there you go. Um, no, I mean, pagan paganism is the OG religion, right? That is that is the beginning of all religion. That's the beginning of human beings um, realizing, accepting, asking questions around something bigger than themselves. And I, I think we we all lost our way, began to lose our way as a human species when we started to many ways deviate from that and started to codify started to um anthropomorphize started to you know kill each other over my religious view or my my view of divinity is different and better than your view of divinity um in many ways i think the more it'll be better for us in many ways to not necessarily wholesale get back, but to revisit and incorporate more elements of those things 
because you know it's where where else i think is the divine more perfectly represented other than in nature because we humans are doing a shit job of it so i i find it so interesting that like we've so divided up these our religions to like imply that if i find god in nature i'm somehow not christian or something you know um and we, we have to remember where did Jesus go, right? When <laughs> when Jesus when Jesus needed some moments, when Jesus needed to reconnect with with God with source, when Jesus stirred shit up and needed to get out of town, where did Jesus go? Back to nature. Yes, it was the desert. Desert's nature too, teeming with life. Uh, but that was that was if we you know in the Christian context, that was his refuge. I mean, what is Advent besides a celebration of light? of, you know, light into the darkness, light into the world. That is very biblical. What I, so Yule comes, it's a very Norwegian, like it's a Norwegian specific holiday. Um, like winter solstice is a changing of the season. It's a date. I'm, I'm sure it's a mm -hmm. Roman calendar that Caesar did or something. I don't know. And then, um, so the longest night service from what I understand is, um, started through the African-American culture that it was a it was a celebration that was brought into Christianity um, mainly through um, enslaved people becoming Christians. As, as the black person on the show, I have no idea. Okay, well, because, good to know. So I, from, that's my understanding. <laughs> if you want to do a quick Google search, I'm pretty sure that that is accurate. I, I, I'm, I keep reminding people, I might be black, but I'm not African-American. 100% Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, but that was kind of how that, um, or maybe that's the long, so that's, hmm, maybe I'm getting confused with the Christmas or the New Year's Eve service. Um, that is first, like the first night service. Um, I might be getting those two confused right now because this, because my husband bought 100 proof vodka, which you should never ever buy. Let's let's look at a blue Christmas, also called longest night in the Western. So Christian I do tradition. appreciate a good blue Christmas service. I have to be honest. Um, is a day in the Advent season marking the longest night of the year? Some on this day, some churches in Western Christian denominations hold a church service that honors people that have lost loved ones and are experiencing grief. So that's so what I that am thinking. Is. I am thinking of the Watch Night service, which is uh, on. Christmas, or it's Christmas. just on New, oh, Year's, New Year's, Eve. Year's Eve. Right. Mm -hmm. So I yes. apologize. And I just That's, learned okay. of a service that happens in Sweden and Denmark, Norway, Finland, and that area that venerates St. Lucy or Lucia. And it, I, I don't remember where I was reading about this, but the girls, and we can connect this to the purity culture, <laughs> the girls walk in in these white robes and red sash and a crown of candles yes on her head there was an american girl doll that did that it, it's <laughs> yes and i'm like okay, wow well. so we talk about like connecting into some of these like pagan traditions how is that not connected seriously and it's like all of the greenery it's like an advent candle on your head like yeah. advent on your head because yeah. all of all mm. of Western Europe was these different religions and different, like mm -hmm. the Christmas tree comes from Germany. It's a pagan, like our bringing in greenery into the house is part of Yule. It's part of decorating yes. your house mm -hmm. with 
greenery because you're in the shit of winter. And by the way, winter there, like you're like 23 hours of darkness, you know, kind of thing. So right. you really are celebrating the fact that we're going to get more light today. You but know. you know what's sad? Why, why do we have to, why do we have to make this about technology and use like LED candles on their heads? Because really, isn't it more entertaining to watch children with fire on their head just to see what happens? I mean, I do like to watch children burn. That, that dripping, that dripping <laughs> wax, man, that dripping, that dripping wax is a real thing. It's oh my funny. God. But like Christmas Eve service. And like, you can't, you know, so this was the years ago, this was a fight. We couldn't give the kids candles on Christmas Eve. And I was like, we can't leave the kids out. So they bought LED candles for them to hold on Christmas Eve. So, cause they couldn't trust the kids with fire as if their parents weren't going to supervise them. You know, you know who you can't trust with fire? My children? Correct. Pastors. Me. Oh, I almost burned the church down once by trying to be creative with this very cool, elaborate advent wreath that had i don't know like 40 candles <laughs> it didn't it did it didn't end well there so i've 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 had some scary flash paper moments as well i was gonna to say we, we that, there's a flash yeah. paper story from us in seminary we didn't do it yeah. but our friend katie did she like you wrote confessions on flash paper but like mm-hmm. so many of them had like accumulated in the bowl accumulated. That, like she almost set the chapel on fire <laughs> good times yeah, yeah. Good, no. good times. So maybe just, this is why we don't connect too much with the pagans because we're afraid we'll <laughs> we're we're afraid of fire. That's really it. <laughs> but I, I just don't like we know that you know what what was it the calendar like Jesus was born really in April and you know like all of the historical stuff that you can bring in like we celebrate this time of year it really is wrapped around. Um, the marking of winter solstice it's marked around a a roman holiday that occurred this time of year and christians wanted Mm -hmm. to like they had the day off anyway so they wanted to like wrap their celebration in i mean so who cares do you know what i'm saying like i don't care if it's pagans that are celebrating this time of year if it's christians that are celebrating like well well the you know to your to your point about the roman holiday saturnalia it's you know it's 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 about and your husband, Derek, mentioned this a couple weeks ago, Christian supremacy, the idea Absolutely. that at some yeah. point, you know, when, as I like to say, Christianity was kind of doing okay, and then it became the official religion of the empire, it was all downhill after that, because then Christianity became empire, and empire can have no opposition. So then right. how, are, how are we going to wipe out everything else? How are we going to subsume? How are we going to co-op? Uh, we're you know and and then the it was downhill ever since so you know here's a here's a major already feast and holiday going on let's let's stamp some christian themes on this co-opt it and um not because we're lazy but it's a purposeful effort to make it disappear um Mm -hmm. as it as it has um and and and, it isn't just oh no, no no i'm sorry i cut you off so, so I was going to say, again, tie this back to the purity culture thing. Again, here's an, here's an effort to make bodily autonomy disappear. Here's an effort to make mm-hmm. the agency of women disappear um, as well. Christianity seems in so many ways to be about making, making individuals conform 
rather than, hey, here's a pathway to liberation. We're yeah. telling you it's a pathway to liberation, but really it's about conformity. Yeah. And that, yes, that's exactly where I was going, which is like, instead of seeing like, because I don't know about you guys, but it was like Gentile pagan oppositeness, especially, holy crap, he used the word Wiccan. Well, now we're out. Now it's terrible. You know, witches. Burn the witches. Burn the witches, right? But like what might earth-based religions have to teach us, have to teach traditional religions? Like, hey, we should care about the earth. Like, there's there is, that. <laughs> like, as if to think that we were separate from creation, you know, that the earth is separate from our religion in some way is absolutely ridiculous. So. And, and at a time when we spend the most, create the most, uh, you know, trash at Christmas time, right. uh, you know, and, and manufacturing ramps up uh, bigger carbon footprint as people are traveling all over the place to see friends and family. And again, not, not that they shouldn't, but, but that's the, that that juxtaposition of you know festivals celebrating the beauty and the divinity in earth and let's let's buy more shit and trash it more at right. this time of year than any other time of year yeah absolutely just see my kids stockings so thank you, friends, for tuning into Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. Get access to pre- and post-show banter and more. Visit patreon.com slash ptlive to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. Our top and our guests. And, and our, our guests. Yes, Melissa, thank big you. thank you to our guests. Aww, you're so our guest, Shannon's best friend. I don't, I won't forget your name, but I'm going to be like, Shannon's best friend. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Brian owes you a beer next time he's in Ann Arbor. <laughs> yes. Um, top cities tuning in this week are Elk Grove, California. I'm not. Winnetka? Nope. I have no idea. Some, Winnetka. Winnetka, Illinois? Probably. Uh, Brian's right. killing me. And someplace in Germany. Thank you, Germans. You're someplace so in Germany. <laughs> Baden, Baden. Baden, 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 Baden. I'll say it all the ways. Okay. Uh, yeah, German listeners, if, if we messed up anything about... these top cities, and I'm like, dude, I can't do this every week. Um, by the way, listen to the show when Derek was on, and he puts in all these weird sound effects. So, listeners of the podcast, I'm so sorry. Wow. Um, sound effects. I feel like I've really fallen down on the job. <laughs> <laughs> like, it does post-production sound effects. I'm like, mm, no, Brian, I love you, but no. Um, so watch the videos of these conversations on Facebook Live if you dare. Um, you can start a pub theology gathering in your town. Find support and resources at pubtheology.com. And until next time, which will be January the 9th, um, you know what, friends? Drink as you need to through the holidays, whether that's responsibly or not. Drive responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. I posted this meme the other day that was like, dear liver, it's going to be a rough couple of weeks. Stay strong. Seriously. <laughs>